quick PSA for our listeners who are U.S. citizens. The 2020 election season is now upon us, and it is so important that you make your voice be heard. Please go to www.vote.org to find out all voting information you might need, and be sure to vote early. Again, that website is www.vote.org. Plan your vote and enjoy the show. Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Let us see what the future holds. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of What the Future Holds, your Star Trek Discovery podcast here on Holosuite Media. I am one of your hosts, Brandy Jackola, and with me, as always, are my two favorite people to talk about Discovery with. Number one, Mr. Christopher D. Littlefield. How are you, sir? Hello. Hello, Brandy. I'm good. Ooh, Hello, everybody. Yay, singing. We know. got singing. We don't do enough singing on this show. We don't. We, do we certainly don't. Burst into song whenever the impetus uh, appears. Careful. So uh, that's how I feel. And rounding out our trio of talent is my favorite husband. Just because he's my only husband doesn't make him any less my favorite. Dave Jackala, how are you, Dave? I'm doing all right. Making good grades. You did like half a Vulcan salute. That's because I can't close this other finger. I can do it with the other hand. Kind of. No, I can't. I used to yeah, be able to. You can, you can do the nanu nanu, there. though. Okay, I got it. Was that the oh, Vulcan flip okay, off when you going. put the two center ones together? No, that's that's Mork from Orc's salute. That's how he had to shake hands. Or is that West Side? That, well, you cross them, that's West oh, Side. Okay. Yeah, you have to cross them to do West Side. I'm just so impressed and a little frightened that you both know gang symbols. <laughs> <laughs> You're, y'all are so hood. Oh yeah, because we've cred. got we've got hoods up yeah. in here, up in Ogden, Utah, <laughs> like you would not believe. We're hardcore up in here. <laughs> <laughs> Some would think. So, your mom. Yeah. Your mom. Supposedly. According to Dave's mom, we live in the ghetto. Well, so Central it's, Ogden. It's not the ghetto. We've had a bit of a change of plans after our last episode. We realized that there was no way that we were going to be able to cover the remaining seven episodes in one more episode of this show. So we are splitting it into two. So instead of having parts one and two, it'll be parts one, two, and three. Or you could say it's season two, part two, part one. Season two, part mm-hmm. two, part one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the end of a clue. Okay, there's one, then two, then two, then one. Oh, God. No, there's one, then one, then two, then two. Season two, part two, A. Subsection Q. And then the other one will be Article seven. season two, part two, B. Would you stop <laughs> Too <it>? far. <laughs> we can run a joke into the yeah. ground, believe me. We do on a regular basis. This time, instead of plowing through seven, we're going to plow through four. And the four that we are going to discuss today are, if memory serves, Project Daedalus, The Red Angel, and Perpetual Infinity, which I have to work hard to say correctly because thanks, Bruce Gibson, for saying Perpetual Infant, and now it's stuck in my brain forever. Like Stormfart. Yeah. <laughs> Stormfart? 
She got the episode, the Enterprise episode, Stormfront. Stormfront. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to say Stormfront Part One. Stormfront Part One. Stormfront. Stormfront. I want to see that episode. Somewhere in the archives of another network. So <laughs> Dave and I made up a movie called Stormfart, and we made a team of superheroes that <laughs> that passing wind is one of their specialties. So, well, that sounds lovely. They, they use it to fight crime. Good job, guys. It was it was hilarious, I think, but not everyone is yep. into that. Silent and deadly assassin. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Let's just pause here for a moment, not on Stormfart, and just think about I can't. when we were first watching. You can't pause? I know what you're... Yeah, go. <laughs> no, you don't know what I'm going to say. I do. No, you don't. I said, let's just reflect on when we first went through season two of Discovery and we got to this point mm-hmm. where we knew we were headed to Talos 4. We had to wait a whole week to find out what was going to happen. How did everybody feel at that point? Before we saw previously on Star Trek, mm-hmm. I was excited. That's it? Just excited? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were you feeling, Dave? I don't recall having any kind of anticipation other than just to watch the next episode, because I don't mm-hmm. think I did, had as much Lame. investment, not being somebody who really was into the original series. Okay. That Talos 4 was like, oh, it's just uh, another planet. How dare you, well, sir? I was losing my damn mind. <laughs> yeah. How dare... Get off my ship. <laughs> no, he's fine. That's why he's here, is to give this other perspective <laughs> that you don't often get in Star Trek podcasts. I'm a casual guy. Got my leisure suit and everything. But no gold chains. No gold chains. Because he doesn't have the chest hair to get them tangled up in anyway, so... As far as me, I was losing my damn mind. And I was like, how am I supposed to wait a whole week to finally see... Real Spock, you know, not losing mm-hmm. his mind. And go back to Talos 4. Have them bringing that part of the story into canon even more. And so I was very anticipating that. Let's talk about If Memory oh. Serves, which I think is like the pinnacle of this season because it's where everything Yeah, changes. I always call this episode the divine intermission of season two. Divine intermission is a good way to put it. I like that. Divine intermission could be a Star Trek episode. It title. could. <laughs> I want. I want credit. <laughs> title of this. This episode. I want royalties. TM and copyright. Uh, Christopher Thank you. D. Littlefield, uh, September twenty third, two thousand twenty, at six fifteen Mountain Time. <laughs> <laughs> We're finally at Telos Four. They come out of uh, warp to uh, black hole singularity. Well, even before that, when we got the previously on. Didn't we all freak out? Yes. Oh, yeah, That yeah, was yeah. like, what the holy hell is happening? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I started crying. So like, you that guys, was brilliant. You that was like such a love letter. And then the fade mm-hmm. into Anson Mount's Pike was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, during our rewatch, I couldn't skip the recap. She wouldn't let me. I had to actually go back so we could watch Dave, it. We never skipped the recap. <laughs> Well, you know, when you're watching like three episodes in a day, you don't need the recap of what you just watched. Unless you're counting Culver neck snaps, then you have to. Well, that's what we rely (laughs) on you for, is to count all of the Culver neck snaps. So thank you. You are the official Culver neck snap uh, accountant. And you will balance out the books at the end of this rewatch. (laughs) That was a beautiful way 
to open that episode and make all of us original series fans just about squee in our pants. Um, <laughs> I squeed in my pants. <laughs> that's not really how I, I wanted in to my put pants that, so but, hard. you know, it's out there now, so it's going to stay. That's another possible episode title, squeed, <laughs> squeed in, in my pants. pants. <laughs> <laughs> that might be offensive <laughs> to some people. Sounds like an Oingo Boingo song. That... <laughs> I was thinking more fish, but okay. Oh, yeah. Here we are in the shuttle approaching Talos IV. Black hole. <laughs> Michael's trying to avert catastrophe. Doesn't want to get sucked into the singularity. And Spock shoves her aside and like puts on the throttle. Yep. She tries to stop him and he just does it again. I think if they were to fight, he would probably win. <laughs> because yeah. he does have a height advantage. Well, Vulcans are notoriously strong, too. Yes, but she was taught Vulcan martial arts. And so was he, so even so, he'd still have advantage. Yeah, but he's also not in his right mind, so Uh. in all fairness, she might win that fight. Illusion disappears. Now they can land on the planet. In a rock quarry, again! (laughs) Very Doctor Who of them to land in a rock quarry. We're back to Harlock. Mm Mm-hmm. From season one. Yep, exactly. Different part. Different part. Nice place where there's water. They do a lot of nice nods to the original pilot. Singing plants. Singing plants, yes. Mm -hmm. Smiling when when it's touched. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which is something that people don't want to be in canon, but I have no problem with it. There have been Vulcans smiling before, and not just Spock. And we get to see Vina. New Vina. We get to see New Vina, who does not have an accent. Oh, curious. <laughs> I know you're not a fan, right? I'm not. I'm not a fan I of love this her. performance. Oh, I like her a lot. I don't. I felt like it was soulless and without depth, and it was just like watching an automaton. It did not even hold even a flicker of a match to Susan Oliver for me. It just didn't work for me. It's the only part of this episode that just didn't work for me. I didn't believe anything she said or did. She came off as like a caged bird to me. And I think that's what they were going for because well, yeah. you know, she's stuck on that planet. She has to be. Otherwise, you know, she's going to look all mangled and stuff. She's not a caged bird. She chose to stay there because yeah. of her vanity. Right. Because she could either live her life as she was or she could live her life as a pretty girl. And she chose She'd pretty girl. She'd just be a, a lump yeah. <laughs> of flesh. Well, they could be lumps of flesh together. I know. Not yet, but yes. <laughs> Soon. I think that they did a better job with the makeup in the original series than on Discovery. I really mm-hmm. liked the effect from, from TOS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, it was cool how they faded in and out and the shadows and everything when, she was, when they were showing her to Burnham. Mm-hmm. It looks so good on TOS. It's so much better. They really... Just did it right, especially with the time lapse thing, because that's not easy. Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. And you have to be really patient with that. But I just feel like it was underwhelming. So it's just the same person, but now she's got some wrinkly bits on her face. I mean, her hair hardly seemed different. And the hunched shoulder wasn't as hunched. Maybe they did more operations. <laughs> <laughs> they made her a little bit better. They, they made some improvements. <laughs> Well, everything did still work. Maybe they could have made some improvements in that time. I'll grant that. That could work in headcanon. I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> but regardless of how I feel about Vina, she's a huge part of this episode, and I am not going to just dismiss that aspect of it. 
What are our thoughts on the Telosians themselves? I don't have a problem with the way they looked. They were a bit more streamlined, not as veiny. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I thought it was decent. I liked it a lot. I like how they still had a lady up in there. Pretty peculiar kink, though, is wanting to feel your pain. I don't think of it as a kink so much as they have no way to experience anything else outside of themselves and, you know, whatever menagerie they may still have left. I don't know that they would have kept any of the menagerie after that, but yeah. who knows? Well, she said that it's how they survive, mm -hmm. right? How we Somehow. learn so, how we survive. I mean, obviously, they had to write something that would make us know what Michael did to Spock. And that's how they, I mean, we already know that they use people's memories somehow. Mm -hmm. They feed on pain. It feels a tiny bit shaky, but <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind it because I love this episode. It's not about them wanting to feel pain. It's, I think it's just about them wanting to feel anything. Mm -hmm. That they want oh. to feel what it's like to not like to have to work for things to have grown okay. up off of this planet to have not fallen prey to using these mental powers so much that they no longer ha know how to fix anything any of their machines or how to tend to the land or any of that and because they also exist in total isolation mm -hmm. i have no problem with them actually asking for that because no one can go there they're off limits According to Starfleet and the Federation, you don't get to go there. Death penalty, isn't it? Death death penalty. We don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, <laughs> we we erase that from the, from memory. <laughs> we'll we'll pretend that that wasn't canon in TOS because you know I can write off a lot of stuff, especially the James R. Kirk on a tombstone in early season right. one. Yeah, there are boo boos here and there, and we'll just consider that one of them. And, you know, I was thinking about the whole canon thing. Like, when they made TOS, nobody knew that it was going to be such a hit that people would one day, 55-plus years later, be debating about one little fraction of a second, one little creative decision. They weren't thinking, oh, you know, we got to think about this. If this can't. They weren't thinking. They were having fun making a show. Mm -hmm. Like, canon wasn't a thing. They, had, they could have had no idea what was going to happen. Canon is something that we made up. Yeah, I think a show Bible is a pretty recent thing. And I like it. I love discussions of canon and, and all of that, but they didn't know. There's no way they could they have known. Doing it. Well, in, yeah. in fact, they had to fight just to get a season three. There were people who were leading safe Star Trek campaigns because the network right. was going to cancel them. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Miss Trimble. Wasn't that uh, Lucille Ball that saved them? She had a big hand in it, right? She had a big hand in getting them on the air. Oh, in the first place. Uh, okay. Because they were given a script as the story goes. I don't know how much of this is actually true, and the people who were there are no longer among us. Both Desi and Lucy got a copy of the script, and Desi didn't even look at it, just threw it in the trash. Mm -hmm. And Lucy saw it in the trash, and she fished it out, and she started looking through it, and she says, oh, no, 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 we're going to do this. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> because it <redhead>. was Because <laughs> it was Lucy fucking ball. <laughs> That's how the story goes. I don't know how much of that is legend and how much of that is truth. Probably somewhere in the middle. It was definitely because of her that the show got on the network in the first place. There was a Lucy ball at STLV last year. I thought that was really creative. Nice. Very nice. Very Cosplay, nice. yeah. We have seen quite a few, well, not quite a few, but I've seen more than a few Lucys at Fanex in the past. 
In fact, I think there was one, if I remember correctly, that she had done all of her exposed skin in grayscale makeup, so she looked like she was black and white. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a deep cut cosplay right there. So Telosians, yeah, Telosians. I'm fine with the way they look. I'm fine with them asking to relive that conflict. And she wasn't yeah. going to do it. And then she's just like, survive another way. And she wasn't going to do it. And Spock basically gives her pleading looks. <laughs> <laughs> And she finally decides, okay. But she does demand that she gets to see his brain first, his thoughts first. And mm -hmm. they agree. And we get to see his memory. Mm -hmm. We get to see Spock barefoot and bent over, just how I like him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's sexy. It's so yes, sexy. He's, he's a well-constructed individual. As my mother would say, he's sex on a stick. <laughs> I like how it gives... Spock context to have somebody else experience the whole time hmm. thing is that he's all alone with this other than that red angel you know they're the only two that are witness to this and since Spock exists in the linear timeline he can't quite make sense out of everything so to have Michael share that burden you know at least it gives gives him an anchor to help make sense of it all well, he does mm. later tell her he required some t someone with context of his timeline. Right. So it needed to be someone that was family. He didn't choose his mom, didn't choose his dad. He chose Michael. And I think that he did that because they had times together that were not a part of his relationship with his parents. And mm. I think he really just did want to see his sister again. And I think he thought at first it was to punish her so to speak, which he does a little bit of, a little bit. Rightfully. When we do see that memory, you see how much it hurts her to do what she did. Yeah. She was just as devastated to do it as he was to be the receiver of such words. Racist. She's not a racist, though, but she used a racial slur. Yeah. Because she knew that was the way to get him to stop following her around, stop idolizing her, stop wanting to be around her. He tells her later, it was me that they hated, not you. I'm the half-breed. Right. They were trying to get rid of me. She was a child. He was a child. Right. When Vina and Pike are talking and she refers to him as her tether, which mm -hmm. is what we got with season one, I like that that theme popped back up. Ash and Michael... You're my tether. Uh, skipping back to uh, him writing on the floor of his room at the institution. Barefoot and bent over. And then when he sits back on his knees, I'm like, that's a guy who's been training karate, which he has. Has he? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, wow. He took karate for many years. Studied with a master. Nice. Came a black belt. That's why he was so good at disabling those cards that came in with the doctor. So. That's probably make it interesting if you're a trained martial artist working with a fight choreographer. I already know how to pick up on, you know, kata, you know, the moves. So, yeah, I can imagine that makes it a bit more expedient. So you could tell that he'd actually spent a lot of time in that particular position because you spend a lot of time in that position in karate. Oh, yeah. When you are, your sensei is speaking yeah. and teaching. Around and the until mat. Until you get up to yeah. move. So he's well familiar. On your knees? That. 
on your knees. (laughs) Go watch The Karate Kid, okay? If you don't believe me, I believe you. Go watch any karate movie where there's people in a karate class. Yeah, there's a whole thing about dojo etiquette. You know, having clean hands, clean fingernails, clipped fingernails. You're, you know, barefoot, all that stuff. I am wondering if his mom put him in karate because he got bullied so much at school. I don't know. Probably was a reaction to that. But then, of course, you know, he grew up and got tall and buff and really wasn't a bully target anymore, I hope. But he did go through that. And that's Mm. a terrible thing because I don't think there's any of the three of us who haven't been through that. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Definitely bullied quite a bit. I wonder if he brings that to Spock with being, you know, half human Mm. and the teasing he would get from other Vulcans if... Ethan Peck brings that into his performance, that history. Oh, I'm sure that Surely. that played a part. We get to see Spock's memories, yeah. Michael collapses and goes unconscious just because there's been a bunch of people in her brain. <laughs> That's going to take a toll on anyone, right? Shout out to Burnham's outfit in this episode because it's my right? favorite outfit of all of Discovery that she's ever worn. I want to cosplay it. It's so cool. Yes, we got to see it in better light in uh, the previous episode, but mm, yeah, looks fabulous in it. But I'm pretty sure she looks fabulous in anything. Put a, a burlap sack on her, she'd make it work. But, uh, one thing that I really, it's hard to say like, but appreciated, I guess that's the word, was the editing when we're reliving the memory with Spock and, and Michael and how they are switching out the kids it's uh-huh. like sometimes it's both the kids. Sometimes it's Michael and young Spocks. Sometimes it's young Michael and older Spock. You know, they just switch them all around. They make that really seamless. Yeah, I like that it's adult Michael that says you weird little half-breed. Yeah, because mm-hmm. she still carries that burden with her. Exactly. She not only caused a wound in him, she caused a wound in herself. And she thought she could just avoid it because Spock didn't want to see her ever again. And now the chickens have come home to roost, as they say. Well, that's what they say karma is. It's the weight of your past misdeeds. So it must have been kind of a relief to unburden herself by being forced to relive that memory. Mm -hmm. And of course, Spock wouldn't accept her apology because he's still being catty. Oh, he got a lot of good digs. and yeah. I do like when she's trying to talk to him after she wakes up again and she says something and then he says, well, can you think of a question that I've not asked myself? And so she says, can we have a better version of this conversation? I love that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he says, is there a, I can't remember how he put it. Is there a valid something in your argument? And then she says, yes. Do you think the beard is actually working? And the answer is (laughs) yes. It is working. It is. It works for me. Love it. I, I like it. also how he calls her out on her martyr complex. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, over and over. Yeah. Everything. All the pressure of everything is on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and he repeatedly, I mean, in the next episodes, he still keeps hammering that nail. Yeah. That, yeah, she takes on too much responsibility. Once again, taking responsibility for that which is beyond your control. This is in right. the next episode, but I kind of have a theory about that. It's true. She does that, obviously. But I think that it's also like a nod to the audience that has realized that too. Like the writers were like, we know that she's like this. We purposefully wrote her 
like this. Well, and it all goes back to losing her parents. She literally thought for all these years that it was her fault because she wanted to stay a few more days so they could watch that star go supernova. And we'll discuss that a little bit later. We'll get there. <laughs> of all of Discovery, this is the episode that I have probably watched the most times. I This is because... such a special episode. I had a friend that was an OG Trekker that didn't want to watch Discovery, and I talked him into watching it uh, about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And when he got to this episode, he was texting me during the watch. When he got to this episode, he was like, oh, my God, I'm crying. This is the most Star Trek episode ever he was just went on and on i was like i know i told you so he was a disco hater at first without ever having seen any of it and then once Mm -hmm. he started watching it he's like oh my god they are doing star trek like right and i'm like yeah (laughs) well done chris because not everybody would be open Mm -hmm. to that it takes a special person to even try to get someone (laughs) to have an experience instead of just going by what other haters have said. And the fact that your friend did that is a credit to him as well. Dave is his name. Ah, another Dave. Was he weird? Oh, yeah. He's my friend. Of course. All all (laughs) Daves are weird. weird. Yeah. (laughs) It is true. Think of all the Daves out there and try and think of one that is completely normal and you can't. Mm. This is one of my favorite episodes, probably of all time in all of Trek ever, Me too. which is saying something because there is a lot of Trek to love. And I love how they fake out Section Thirty One. Yes, oh, I was going to bring that up next. The yes. Telosian transmission, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the look that. Burnham and Spock have on their face they're just so stoic you can tell that they're not really there like they look like they have the gaze of the Telosians when they're standing mm. there like it's so eerie and cool I can't remember exactly what Leland says and Burnham says I beg to differ and he just looks at her aghast and then she says say goodbye Spock <laughs> and he goes goodbye, <laughs> goodbye Spock, Spock. <laughs> and they disappear and we get another back in my universe oh, from your show. Oh, yeah. Which, you think I'm making fun of her, but I am not. I love it every time she does that. I do. It's just part of her character. Yeah, she goes from so much extremes in this season trying to figure out who the hell she is. She's found a good place with Section 31. She's the kind of person that does well in the gray areas. Mm-hmm. And she has no qualms about doing what has to be done, no matter how distasteful it may seem. But there's redemption there, too. Yes, there is, because she is still working for Starfleet, and she is still learning. She loves Michael. She's learning what it's like to be in this other timeline now, where things are not looking for the next knife in your back mm-hmm. all the time. So how did you guys feel about Vina showing up on Discovery with Pike? So that uh, she could let him know that Michael and Spock were okay. Let go. Oh, no, that's later. Uh, yeah, that's a later bit. Yeah, I, I liked it. And you didn't like it. That, is that what you're saying? I thought Pike was great. <laughs> I thought he reacted well. But again, I just felt like she was soulless. <laughs> Jeez. I'm sorry. Um, I, I thought that was what she was going for. Because it doesn't seem to be a very happy existence. Yeah, to be trapped well, on that planet. It's, she just seemed like a prisoner to me. It's not really Pike that she's hanging out with. She's really by herself. But she's into the illusions now. That's why she wanted to stay. Because, again, yeah. she wanted to be pretty. She could have gone with them. <laughs> 
I feel like maybe if she left, she would have just degraded and died. So she had not to stay. necessarily. That is not not how they portrayed it. Dave, we recently watched the two parter of the menagerie because I've got to talk about it on Boldly yeah. Go. But... Yeah, and I didn't care for her at all. You didn't like no. Susan Oliver? No, I did not. Why? It was acting of the era. Oh, well, yeah. Like stage acting. Yeah, but aside from that, that's what all of the women did on yeah, that that's what show. That's all, all of them, even the guys. Yeah. And that's probably why. And like I said, I'm not like the biggest original series fan. I mean, I'll watch episodes here and there, but that era is just different <laughs> to modern but acting. I just felt like Susan Oliver had thoughts and feelings, whereas this this lovely young woman just was empty. I can see what you're getting at. I don't know what her deal is other than just doing what she's told. I know that I am in the minority on this, so I am happy to just say it didn't work for me and let it go at that. I don't hate her. I just didn't like the performance. Melissa George is the actor. Also a former national roller skating champion and model. She's Australian. She did very well with her accent. Because usually I can tell when someone is not speaking in their normal accent. But she was very, very good. Now I want to see Star Trek on skates. <laughs> Star Trek capades. Yeah. <laughs> Trek capades. Oh, I don't want that. I kind of do, I but don't. I don't. I, I, I don't, don't know. <laughs> I, I'd go. No. Sure. Why Star not? Trek Express. No. Oh, God. Nope, 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 nope. No. Well, Starlight Express, to be fair, was one of the first professional musicals that I ever saw in London on my sixth grade trip. We went when we lived in Belgium and I fell in love with it, even though I know what Starlight Express is and what people think about it. And I just loved it. Isn't it based on Thomas the Tank Engine? No. I swear it is. No. I heard Why that would you think no. that? No. No. Even it's, I know that. It's, it's like cats, but they're train cars and there's different kinds <laughs> of trains. Steam electricity and they're all on rollerblades freight trains there's the sleeping car which is like the slutty one and then (laughs) and then there's like when the train gets retired they go to like heaven which is like there's starlight express is the train that takes them to have it's it's fucked up but it's i don't know i like i like it a little bit some of it i sort of i don't mind i know some of the music it's better than cats let's put it that way it's pretty similar but yeah can I talk about something in this episode? Please do. The fight between Culber and Tyler. Mm. So hot. It's so <laughs> hot seeing the two of them fight. I wanted to see them make out like when they start getting into it. I really want that to turn dirty. Yeah, it is never going to. I'm sorry. It's so hot. I like the realism of it because it seemed like a real brawl. Not one of these highly yeah. choreographed martial arts kind of thing. It was just shoving around, pushing people over tables, that sort of thing. Who do you think you're talking to? It was just pure unadulterated fury from Culber. And you've got Ash there trying his best not to hurt Culber. The one thing that he does is he kind of you know, slams him on top of a table. But it was more of an incapacitation move than it was to harm he didn't want to continue fighting he could have killed culber again in that <laughs> yeah. fight true but he didn't he wouldn't he made choices could have ripped his yeah. clothes off of him and started making out with him oh my god saying. 
<laughs> well, it's traditional in soft forms of martial arts to use a submission hold to prevent any injury. Uh, you get that with stuff like judo and jujitsu. Judo being the Japanese word for supple or pliant is uh, to fight your opponent in a soft manner. Hmm. Hmm. And I like that they make a connection because they're the two people on that ship that have a similar outlook, that they have a similar experience, that they're not who they used to be. That was the hard part of this episode as well, is all the stuff going on between Hugh and Paul. I understand both points of view. It's one of those situations where everybody, what they're feeling is totally valid. <laughs> yeah, it ends with them breaking up. Uh, I had faith that Culber would see the light. I just thought he just needs to figure out who he is. Well, he needs the help of a couple other people, too. Stamets has his own trouble dealing with it. And of all people, Spock is the one <laughs> that helps him with I that. know. Very insightful, our little Spock. I have a question. Why are we using the spore drive? Why aren't we? Is it not an issue anymore? That's what confuses me. Is it not an issue anymore with May and the, the inhabitants? Is it only an issue when the people are stuck in there, staying in there? The issue was actually Culber. And Mirror Stamets. And now Mirror Stamets and Culber are gone. They're gone. So now we're cool. We can use the spore drive willy-nilly. Mm. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say willy-nilly. <laughs> But it's, I don't think it's something you would want to use 130 times in one go. Okay. We saw how that turned out. Mm -hmm. That was my only question because it gets used a couple more times. They're We're okay trying now. to stay alive and trying not to let control get a hold of that sphere data. So that's really their only weapon. Which, is, is which again, drive. is the name of the song that was used in Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. We're just trying to stay alive. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Staying alive is the whole point. The only other thing is that now Control is using Tyler through Arium and we get all that stuff kind of starting to go on. That's going on as well. And yeah. Tyler ends up getting locked up mm -hmm. very, very shortly thereafter, which starts going on into Project Daedalus. I find it interesting that it turns out that Control was actually setting Tyler up. Mm-hmm. I'll, I think well, that's there cool. had to be a fall guy. Mm -hmm. And that was the most convenient answer because he knew, he, it, knew that there was this strife between Pike and Tyler. Yeah. They were not getting along. That was very apparent. It was using that to its own ends because now it has its little spy named Arium oh, who doesn't God, know she's being spy. And this one is really hard for me too. This is hard for me. I cry in this episode. This was also, after this episode aired, it was my first appearance on the live show with you and yes. Dan. Mm -hmm. Or wait, it was Bruce. It was Bruce. Bruce. Yes, that was a lot of fun. Because you got to do a mid-season one and then you got to do the finale. season finale. Yeah. yeah. You got in there early. I slotted you in. I said, tell me what episodes you want. I'll put you in there. And I did. And I was like, can I do two? <laughs> like, hell Yeah. Since you weren't on in for season one, I was totally fine with that. Yeah. This is all just hard because, this you know. This is hard they, they episode. Give us, they give us Arium's backstory and that just makes it harder. Did you see the pod in her quarters? I didn't notice it until this time. Is it like her sleeping pod? Or it looks like a hyperbaric chamber or something? It's like her recharging chamber. Yeah. There you go. That's where she, you, you set her in that until she's fully charged and then she's yeah. good for the next day. It's her yeah. alcove. I didn't notice mm -hmm. it until this this time I watched it. It was cool. 
And how would it be at the end of each week to have to purge your memory files? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is boring. Bye. This is boring. Bye. This is boring. Cut that. Okay, this I like. Keep. She does say it's tedious. Tedious. Yeah. And I think that's putting it mildly. Thing is, it's not that different than what we do, because we're always forgetting the boring stuff. <laughs> yeah, but the brain the doesn't thing need is, to remember that. A lot of it still stays in there and rears its ugly head, like in dreams and stuff like that. Stuff that you <laughs> haven't thought about for 15 years, and suddenly you're having a frustration dream about it. Or in unconscious <laughs> behavior patterns. <laughs> yeah. The way we so treat people. With us, it's just not necessarily that the memory is gone. The memory is still there. We just aren't interested in accessing it. With her, the memory is literally gone out of her CPU, basically. She doesn't even know it's gone because it's gone. The human brain, it's you're building new neural pathways with new experiences. If you keep repeating the same experiences, you're just reinforcing those pathways that already exist, which is why as you get older, time seems to go faster. Because you're not remembering these new things. You're having less new experiences, and so time seems to go faster and faster and faster with each year. I hate that. <laughs> Mind blown. So she's not that different because, you know, all the stuff that's repeated neural pathways, she's just deleting those files. Because, yeah, she's already has a copy of that. No, she it's doesn't. The new experiences that she keeps. She doesn't. She only has so much storage space. That's right. why she has to delete those files. Yeah. So they're just gone. Yeah, but if she has one experience that's like five other experiences, why would she keep all six? Because if it was a friend, like if it was Tilly. Because oh. she keeps all of Tilly's memories. And Reese, yeah. too. <laughs> Fighting Reese. Who's I do so like cute. The... Oh, yeah, that's true. Michael yeah, just turning and smiling sparring. at her. Yeah. It's so cute. There's a lot of sexy fights in this uh, this episode. <laughs> yes, a lot of more sexy more of Reese fighting. Also a trained martial artist. Also very <laughs> very good looking. Mm-hmm. It's a good looking cast. Mm-hmm. Too many pretty people, but at least there's a curvy girl, so I can rejoice. Yeah. Also very attractive. It depends on people's taste. Some people yep. just really hate Tilly, and I think that those people have no heart or soul. Well, there's somebody on Twitter just honoring all the Star Trek women and showing the quad of pictures of them. And they had, you know, glamour shots of Wiseman. And with that red hair just frizzed out, it was just glorious. It was like the corona of a sun. It was Mm. just remarkable. She does have magnificent hair to the point where I don't know how long it takes them to get her hair to look like that. Because hair like that doesn't dry fast. And you can't blow dry it. (laughs) <laughs> like a normal person can or it frizzes out so you'd have to blow dry it with a diffuser which i don't know if anyone knows this that takes, takes forever. forever when i had hair i i did that for a little while because i used to blow dry my hair every day i blow dry my bangs and that's pretty much that's no i blow dry like this the bangs and like the front part of my hair and then the rest of it i just let it dry naturally most of the time because i just can't be bothered to spend an hour drying my hair because it will take an hour with a diffuser my watch has just told me that my heart rate rose above 120 beats per minute i got very overexcited about having to blow dry my hair <laughs> i really like the wood table in the ready room yeah oh, yeah it's so nice and i want it is nick offerman table oh it's so great <laughs> 
Hey, Anson Mount isn't a bad carpenter either. Yeah. <laughs> He's built a lot of stuff in quarantine. So we find out about Ariam's past. She and her lover had eloped and were on their way back home as a happily married husband and wife and their shuttle went down. I want to know why their shuttle went down. It seems odd to have shuttle accidents, but these things happen, I guess. Uh, well, in the far-flung future. Short trek. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, no, what I a don't... depressing short trek. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. She still thought to stay alive. I'm not so sure I would have done the same in her place. Yeah. So many questions about how her augmented self works that will never be answered. Didn't they disallow augmentations like that, or I it's mean, a different does, type of augmentation line? Right. Yeah, no, it's it's different. This is not messing with genes. This is not gene yeah. editing. Yeah. This is more cybernetics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the case of nerve damage, that kind of augmentation isn't allowed because it's part of that whole ban on augmentation. Of course. So you, you know, can't injecting yourself why... with tardigrade DNA isn't you know. <laughs> oh, that was totally yeah. that was <laughs> that totally was illegal. It. He was lucky that he did not get thrown in prison. Yeah. They decided to overlook it because they needed that spore drive. It's weird that people fear gene therapy so much that it's even illegal in the Star Trek future. In the 90s, there was a eugenics war where yeah. the augments rose up against the rest of the population and tried to exterminate or oppress them. That's been in talks to have a series about that, right? Or a mini-series event sort of thing? I'm sure that it has, but until somebody's saying these people have been cast, I'm not going to believe it. (laughs) So there are always going to be pitches. There are always going to be ideas. But until they actually start production, I'm not going to lay credence to any such rumor. If they were going to do a miniseries like that, it would have to take place in the 90s. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's when it takes place in canon. There was con talk going around at one point. Yeah. There's always con talk. And frankly, I don't need to see con again. No. I don't need They've to see the backstory. I just yeah. don't want him to be white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would be best if he wasn't a white British guy. Sexy Latino guy. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> hmm. Give me Ricardo like the guy from all day and night. The guy from New Mutants. Ooh. I know. I don't think he's old enough. Yeah, he played Sunspot. He's not old enough. He pretty enough. Oh, he pretty. He really pretty. I think I leaned over to Dave at some point during that film and said, he pretty. Uh-huh. <laughs> I texted you right after I saw it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, yes, please. That's a great movie. I get too hot. Okay, it's totally off topic. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I told you that we were going to go off into the weeds. <laughs> I think we're the three people in the world that like that movie. <laughs> Well, anyone who doesn't like it, I don't know what they were expecting. I thought it was brilliantly done. I loved how claustrophobic it was. I loved it. Yeah. I think they did the characters well. The performances were amazing. It scared me. (laughs) Demon bear. The the messaging was so good. Yeah. The the message. Oh, just it it moved me. No, the faceless men were the ones who really fucked me up. I just no. I get the feeling we're avoiding talking about this episode. I know, I know. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. there's there's a quote that I really love in this episode that felt very prescient to me. It was Pike. He says, giving up our values in the name of security is to lose the battle in advance. That hit me this time when I watched it because it feels so relevant to today. 
oh, yeah. Supreme Court. So many other topics. Giving up our values in the name of security is to lose the battle in advance. I freaking love that quote. That's very similar to an actual historical quote oh. about sacrificing freedom for safety. You can either be free or you can be safe. You can't have both. And I've said this before. I will say it again. There is no such thing as safe. Yeah, it's an illusion of safety. That was mm -hmm. creepy. I wanted to be creepy because I wanted to get my point across. Safety is an illusion. Yeah. Safe is something that just doesn't exist. No matter where you go on this planet, you are at danger from something. Yeah, and the only constant is change, so... That is the only constant in the entire universe is change. Let's talk about it. So we've okay. got uh, Cornwell back on board. Thank God. I was about to say that. <laughs> Love me some cat. Love her. We get her confrontation with Pike mm -hmm. as to why did you hold me back? And it's like, well, you're the best of us. We had to have the best of Starfleet remaining if we lost. Like, will you get off my ass so I can get back to work? Yes. <laughs> and he's just like, uh, yeah. She's such a badass. She has one of my favorite quotes of pretty much all time when she comes aboard and Pike is telling her all this stuff. And he says, now you may think. And she says, you have no idea what I'm thinking. Love. That. I had that printed on a T-shirt. <laughs> you did? Because of this? Because of this. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. I, I should have worn it today. <laughs> I need, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that now. It's not obviously a quote, but it right. makes people look at me and go, Weird. Sure what a weirdo. I don't, I, I don't have any idea what she's thinking. Do you have any idea what she's, I don't know what she's thinking. That could keep some people away from you, which would probably be a it's very desired been to effect. my benefit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll take a tank yeah. in turquoise. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, she has her own conversation with Spock. Oh, so good. Tristram. Can we just stay here? Just let me look <laughs> at him, listen to him for the rest of this episode, please. Can I have that? No? Okay, okay. You're going to make me cry? Okay. It's interesting how she questions him because she thinks she knows the answers and he gives her answers that she doesn't expect. Mm. Yeah, even and saying, she, I've killed no one. He said, I believe I've been quite clear. I did not kill anyone. So she's trying to reconcile that with this footage that they have of him killing these three people. But of course, Michael knows that that's not true because she's been inside his brain. Pike knows. Pike because knows. Because he knows Spock. Amanda and eventually knows. Eventually, Saru knows. Eventually. Yes, Saru <laughs> figures it out. He gets a little Saru, Saru figures it out in this uh, episode, in fact. Yes, there's this, that little tiny moment, right? They're going to Section 31 headquarters, basically, because Cornwell can't get control to accept her commands anymore. Mm -hmm. And she's lost contact with the base and the admirals there and they have to get through a bunch of minefields with mines that have saw blades on them that was fun that was a horror That's movie crazy <laughs> those were crazy i feel like i've seen this in a horror movie before and i think i have i just can't remember something like this not in space but it's crazy that they'd go with something so blatantly physical rather than having it like being a laser beam oriented thing but maybe to chew through your shields it's to weaken the shields and then yeah. eventually get through the hull and destroy you you weren't supposed to have your shields up because they would react to shields being up they started reacting anyway because control was controlling them control can anticipate what the federation does tactically yes it's got so much information it thinks it can predict everyone based on their past behaviors and so to get through, you have to make it up as you go. 
complete randomness. That was cute. I like the one that's like Alpha One. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the top of the list. Just throwing out defensive maneuvers. Um, Alpha One. I like the Omega, Omega Nine yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Maybe that was Cornwell's. Probably. I wish someone had thrown out Sulu, Sulu Alpha 9 or whatever uh, it was yeah. a thing. Yeah, there was one that had like a subsection B thing. It was like Delta 4B. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's a Delta 4A then. Hmm. And probably a Delta 4 Delta. Yeah, Delta 4E. <laughs> And uh, we get a nice uh, confrontation with Admiral Pitar. Oh, yeah. We've been told before is a logic extremist. How did she get to be an admiral? Somebody I know. explain that to me. Did they just find out that she was a logic ex- extremist? Didn't seem like it. No, it Didn't, sounded it like, like she knew. Yeah, Cornwell had known that for a while. Yeah. So she tells them that they're all mutineers and wanted and they're going to be arrested and... They need to go over there and shut down control or get access to the systems so that they can take care of business. Saru's being invited to to go. And he's like, no, I have something to work on here. Pike doesn't even ask what it is, doesn't need to know. He's like, "Okay, you do your thing. Just totally trust him. I love that. First, we find out that Admiral Pitar was a hologram. All of them, right? Pretty much all of them. Yeah. But we don't know how long because is that scene that we saw... Yeah, it's been at least two weeks. Three, but is that weeks. scene? That's what uh, Arium says. It's been they've been dead for at least two weeks, at least. I think that scene from before when they I had think, all the admirals. Yes, I when control? they had the Andorian. Yeah, when the Andorian and the Tellarite and everything. I think that that was control already. Oh wow! Yeah, I be I'm beginning to think that as well. Yeah. I've been mulling that over a lot, and yeah, I, think I think that so. you're right. And all this while, Pike has been wanting to get rid of the holograms. And go back to just view screens. <laughs> so that's kind of a nice parallel. To appease the canonistas, yes. <laughs> it's fine, though. I get why he doesn't like holograms or like creepy ghosts. And yeah. I agree. But it's <laughs> funny that it works into the narrative because it's holograms that fool everybody. Exactly. And guess who uses them on DS9? Is it Section 31? Interesting. Saru drops that bomb. They decide they're going to go over there and find out what the hell's going on. Michael is going, and Non are going, and Arium wants to go as well. And now, Non has Nan been suspicious has been for suspicious. a while. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> she has been suspicious for a little while now. She's been keeping an eye on Arium, and I like how intuitive she is. It's not that she's suspicious, like, of everyone all the time, but she obviously can feel when something's up, she's and she follows intuitive. that feeling. So I appreciate that about her. And I just really like Nan. I, I do just too. Really, just well, there's even really that like moment her. where Ariam asks about her breathing apparatus and how that yeah, works. Yeah, she oh. says you are Barzan, yes. And that was totally control in that mm-hmm. moment. We had seen the uh, the red lights in the eye. See, red lights, always evil. Red lights and eyes, always evil. And then evil. they flashed always. again and she was like... And- disoriented it's really sad that she didn't feel she could go to anyone and explain that she was having these blackouts maybe she thought that she had just deleted the memories i don't know because how would she know yeah you think remember control is compartmentalizing those parts of her brain because it's just files if she can't access those files that control has a hold of she's Mm going to be unaware of anything and it might just seem like just stuff that she's already purged and it might also just be like a, you know how like you'll have a split second where you're just like, wait a minute, what, what was I saying? Then you forget about it and move on. Yeah. Just a little blip. I have those. 
Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm just like, why did I come in this room? What was I doing? Yeah. <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, everybody goes over there and... Um, Not everybody comes back. And we find frozen people. All the admirals are dead. They're popsicles. Turn on that gravity and we get a nice little shatter. Yeah. They're yep. super stiff too. Frozen solid. Roll well, them over to check on them. If they had restored life support, which they had, that means that the heat was back on. So those they popsicles were starting to melt. Ew. It would have taken a while to completely thaw. But I imagine <laughs> that after a few hours, there would start to be a certain scent. Yes. So I hope they put them all in a morgue. Well, they just blew it up, right? Third century. Yeah. yeah, they ended up blowing it up. Yeah. Do you think they did proper burials for everyone? I don't think they had no. time. No, they didn't have time. And we lose Arium. That scene is like so difficult to watch. Like all of the things that everyone's going through. And this is like the second time Michael wasn't able to pull the trigger. Second time? Yeah, because she couldn't take a knife to Saru. She uh, couldn't cut off his was... ganglia. Yeah. Well, and then when she started to, it was like, kidding, you don't have to. Non got her back this time, though. Yep. Yep. And then apologizes for it later. Like, I did what I had to do. She doesn't apologize. Yeah. She She didn't apologize. She knew what she'd done was the right thing. She just didn't want Michael to think that she was insensitive to the situation. Right. That exchange between the two of them, I found very, very meaningful. They both said they were glad the other person was there because Nan was able to do what Michael could not. And Michael, by being there and not being able to do it, wasn't giving up on her friend. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Nan also says she's glad Michael was there. And my interpretation is that Nan is glad Michael was there because she showed Arium love and compassion and kindness and believed in her all the way up to the end, even when she couldn't. No, well, there's a couple of things I still want to cover in this episode. Spock being on Discovery and trying to figure out why the Red Angel chose him. And that scene when Stamets is touching all of these circuits. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And they're just standing there in silence. And he tells them, would you please say something? I don't like hearing myself talk when there are other people in the room. Which is unusual for Stamets to say something mm-hmm. like that. And they end up getting in a fight and <laughs> Stamets and he... throws them out. Yeah. I almost and took so... that moment as like him trying to convince himself that he's fine. You're fine. Yeah. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Mm-hmm. When he's not fine. Yeah. He's not. He's having a hard time. And we get this wonderful scene of Michael making Spock play chess. Oh, Yeah. And he's just pissing her off for the sake of pissing her off. Well, he's angry, <laughs> too. It's Oh, he is very angry. He's enjoying being angry. I'm just doing the stupidest move he can think of just to anger her. She confronts him. They have a fight, another fight, a big fight. At one point, she says, and this is the only thing that makes him stop for a second. She says, you know, you need to stop taking whatever this is out on me. That stops him for a second. He has no comeback for that because she's right. <laughs> But he's also right. He gets in his digs. He gets in his digs about how she'd rather deny reality that there was no way to save her parents. She assumes every burden is hers alone. They're so good. They put these characters into situations to where they're both upset, but they're both valid Mm -hmm. in their feelings. And it's not like I can sit there and be like, oh, well, I'm on my I'm on Michael's side because this or I'm on Spock's side because of this. I'm like, I 
completely empathize with both of them. That is a hard thing to do. Yeah, like in past treks and stuff, we're always like, oh, I'm on Team Riker. I'm on whatever. Like they are real. I mean, the the character complexities in this show is fantastic. You mean like real people? And this also has that scene I was speaking about earlier where Spock is, he's explaining to Stamets, he's trying to figure out why the Red Angel chose him, and et cetera. And they have a nice little chat. Oh, yeah. And he says, you know, there was obviously something about you. The Red Angel wouldn't just pick any Vulcan. Keep looking. You'll figure it out. And then Spock says, if I may make an observation of my Love own. Love this. <laughs> and I can't remember the exact wording that he uses because I, I just basically, I'm just, oh, good. Read it. <laughs> well, I wrote the second part down because he's talking about how it's not how he feels about you anymore. It's that he no longer knows how to feel about himself. And I love this because it's a theme in a lot of the relationships in this half of the season is that people are making a lot of assumptions on what's going on based upon themselves and what Mm -hmm. they feel. And they have it backwards a lot of the time. For instance, Michael thinks that she's the problem when she's a kid, when they're kids. And it's really that they didn't like Spock. In this situation, it's not that he doesn't love Stamets, it's that he doesn't know how he feels about himself. He doesn't know who he is anymore. And he was right when he said that that version of him died. And even Kat says that to him later. Well, you are new. And he's so taken aback by someone actually identifying that when no one else, even Hugh, had been able to put that in words. Right. Uh, Tyler does too. Who do you think you're talking to? Same thing. Mm -hmm. These themes are awesome. I didn't catch a lot of these things the first time I watched the season. There's so much. And that's the beauty of Trek, I think, is that you can rewatch something even years later, and have a completely different experience than the first time you watched it. Even with just, for me, with season one, it had been like a couple of years since I had watched it all the way through, and I had a completely different experience than the first time I'd seen it. Mm -hmm. And that's something about Alltrek for me. Yeah, and again, this is just, Discovery is is so emotionally intelligent. And some people don't like that because some people don't want emotional intelligence. They want pew-pew and ships exploding, I guess. Well, we get that too. We get a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, we do. But it's not the end-all and be-all of Star Trek. To me, it's about the story. It's about the characters. The human adventure. Which is why you can put entire series on a space station. And I'm fine with it. All right, let's move on to the Red Angel. Okay. Arium's dead. Arium's dead. They have a funeral for her. Or is she? Yeah, she's dead. They wiped all of her CPU. Yeah. And this is the first time we get to hear Doug Jones sing. That was him singing. I know. He used to sing in a choir in church. This episode makes me cry too. Mm-hmm. It starts off with a tear fest because it's yeah. Arium's funeral. It is so hard. Michael's words are the hardest. <laughs> or we get Detmer. Oh, yeah. Paying homage to uh, Arium for making her feel more comfortable about her augment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of course, Tilly. I really like that they friends. ended... That they started the episode this way with the funeral, with the memorial, and didn't tack it on at the end of Project Daedalus. Yes. And that Project Daedalus just ended with her blipping out. And that was it. That was the end of the episode. There wasn't even music. There was just the sound of ocean waves. And the credits. I love these choices. Because it was just like, blip, over. And it was devastating. And then we pick up right with the funeral. Yeah, it's similar to the episode of Buffy called The Body mm. that didn't have any music in it. I thought that was mm. Hush. 
No, Hush was the... They couldn't speak. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was no noise. Yeah, this is the one where Buffy's mother died. Oh, God, I can't. And everybody was in shock about it. I can't with that episode. Or the one when Dawn disappeared. That one I was okay with, but... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, she just appeared. That's right. Out of the blue. Yeah. She's the key. It's like when Crichton appeared on... uh, Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) I just had a really quick scroll explaining how he wasn't supposed to be a recurring character but everyone loved him so much he ended up becoming part of the show if you've never seen red dwarf you have no idea what we're talking about but (laughs) it's okay that would be me a lot of stuff happens in this episode this is a this is a very dramatic episode and like Mm -hmm. i feel like i was holding my breath the entire episode when i watched it this time this is when it's revealed by Tilly, she she was going through Arium's files before they were deleted, and she found this little file called the Daedalus Project. She thought it was a bit of junk code left over from an update, but it was a file. It had a biosignature of the Red Angel, and it matched Michael. And that's when we all start going, wait, what? <laughs> and that's when some people who had their theories go, uh-huh. Right, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, I knew it, I knew it. Ah, red herring, sort of. Yeah. I know that's the mm, best part. Sort of. How they you're, did this. you're right and you're wrong, bitches. Yes. Try and outguess us. We get a lot more of Spock. Oh. Leland has shown up oh, and yeah. he's there to tell them, hey, Project Daedalus was ours. Oh my God. And uh, reveals to Michael that her parents were the ones who built the Red Angel for Section yeah. 31. She finds out that the reason that they really stayed longer was for the star-going supernova because they needed the energy to harness it in the time oh, crystal. Oh, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. I missed so much the first four or five times I watched. This This rewatch, all the dots were connected so much more clearly for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. We don't know that part quite yet, but we will soon. Because yeah. right. we, we get to see everything from Gabrielle Burnham's point of view. I remember being so confused the first time I watched this episode. I think it's because there's so many things weaving in and out of the story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's really easy to miss little things. Well, they're playing around with time travel, which in itself is tricky. Yes. And we haven't really touched on that it is time travel quite yet other than yeah. Terralisa but it's also being pulled out of time to me it's don't overthink that aspect of the story you know mm-hmm. yeah. because then it, yes it creates paradoxes and there's the whole grant <laughs> mm-hmm. you know all that stuff well that's how alternate universes come into being right mm-hmm. is yeah. by Depends on your theory making all these different choices that's why they're alternate universes because if you think about it and from a quantum physics level every word coming out of my mouth is creating a reality And in some other reality, I'm saying this slightly differently or not Mm -hmm. at all, or I'm not even here. (laughs) So Yeah, every choice we make is a different divergent path and creates a whole other And every choice we Mm -hmm. don't make. Mm -hmm. And that makes our poor little human brains just hurt so much. (laughs) Can't work. Can't process it. We are linear beings, whereas quantum physics is everything all at once. So (laughs) Right. Well, that's when the observer comes into the effect. Who's observing what choices are being made? And that determines what manifests in the probability field and therefore determines what reality is. But who is the observer? And like consciousness theory and stuff. And yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the whole Schrodinger's cat thing. There's this cat in a box. If you open the box, it's either going to be dead or alive. But you don't know. The cat could be dead the whole time or it's alive. 
but when you open the box, it's dead. It's just oh, right. there is no reality to that cat until it is observed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think I just got a little bit more enlightened. Woohoo! <laughs> Brandy likes quantum mechanics. I do. Speaking of light, it behaves differently depending on whether it's being observed. Yeah, it's both a particle and a wave. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that. It will literally change its behavior if it's being observed. It is the craziest thing that I still can't quite wrap my head around. <laughs> and you can know what the speed of a thing or the location of a thing, but not both. Someday we'll get there <laughs> when we have... Someday we'll find it. <laughs> the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. <laughs> I like that song. We're getting deep. So this is when we find out the truth about Michael's parents. Oh, okay. I thought you meant how good Spock's but looks in an easy we'll suit. get to spock's butt okay We're okay getting to spock's we'll get butt. to spock's butt we're not there yet <laughs> right. now we get the leland smackdown oh yes. yeah i love that so much sonequa in this scene is unreal how she on her face how she's processing everything that he's saying and then when she's like no no and then she's forming half sentences and then she suddenly just stops and she is stone cold He's like, they were there because of you. And he's, you know, trying his hardest to apologize. And I think he really feels that. But at the same time, he still let it happen because he was young and careless. Well, you could see all that self-loathing, all that survivor's guilt get redirected towards him. Mm -hmm. Because now she has a target other than herself. And then she breaks his nose and says, that was for my mom. And then she hits him again and knocks him flat. That was for my dad. That was intense. I expected a third one for herself, but it never came. No, she didn't need to. And then she doesn't say anything. She just leaves. These three episodes, 9, 10, and then the next one, 11, Project Daedalus, Red Angel, and Perpetual Infinity. Sonequa, in these episodes, she slays it. Mm -hmm. She's incredible with what she does with this character. The very next episode has one of the best pieces of acting I think I've ever seen, where she does three different readings of the same line. Mm Mm-hmm. With three different emotions, and it's incredible. Dave, I think you were the one who told me that they were actually just doing three takes back to back, but they ended up keeping all of them. I don't know if that was me. That seems like something Dan would know. (laughs) Well, I still haven't watched the season two Blu-ray special features, so maybe I'll find out from that. We do uh, see her later beating the crap out of a dummy. Spot comes in, and she is not in the mood. And she lets him know that in no uncertain terms. And he talks about how her feelings are valid. And he says, I do wish I had been in the room when you struck him. I think I would have found it satisfying. And that gets her. Oh. Oh, this is a different engagement. We're having a different conversation. Mm -hmm. So she stops and she sits down and they have a heartfelt conversation. Yeah, he's empathizing with her, right? In that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they reconnect here. Isn't this where he tells her, you were a kid when she... You were a child... With a child's understanding. That's after she apologizes. She says, I brought that guilt into your home. That's when he comes back with that you were a child, with a child's understanding of these events. This scene is still a lot for me to process. Like, there's a lot emotionally. It's heavy. He tells her that she doesn't need to apologize, but if it will make her feel better, he will accept her apology. You see, again, her load lightning. Yeah, she even does a sigh of relief. Yeah. She says, thank you for coming to talk to me. It was helpful. He admits that it was for himself as well. And then she says, why did you come to talk to me? He's like, oh, yeah. Hey, what did I come in here for? This is where they decide they need to set a trap for the Red Angel to get her to show up because the one thing that all the instances have in common is when Michael is in danger. That's when the Red Angel shows themselves. 
Except on Kaminar. When but Sir that was Roy because it. it was Michael. And technically, yeah. Michael was in oh, danger. Oh, that was the Mike. That was Michael being the angel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were trying to figure it out because there had been signals, and then there had been actual sightings of the red angel. Right. And what did I they kept have a list on which one it was, Mom. Which is the burst. Which is you know all those. Well, all of the signals are Michael. Right. Mom didn't do any of those. They assume that. Michael's the red angel, and so Michael has to be the one to trap herself by <laughs> fake dying. Well, she dies. <laughs> this drove me crazy because they bring her into the ready room or whatever conference room they have mm-hmm. to bring her into the plan of how to capture herself so she'll know the plan <laughs> yes. in the future because they just told her the plan. But I keep explaining. And I'm like, why is she even in the room? I keep explaining to you that changes that happen in our perception of the present don't necessarily echo throughout the future instantly. Like Infinity War. Thank you. That's a good example. That's not how time works. Yes, because she's just she's just learning it. It's it's a paradox, you know, because Mm -hmm. she's she's learning it now. But future Michael doesn't exist yet, so future Michael wouldn't know yet. She's creating a loop, so yeah. she thinks. It's a paradox, for sure. <laughs> yeah, she does create a paradox, but this is not the the paradox she creates. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So they decide to go to Aesop Four on uh, the recommendation of Emperor Giorgio. <laughs> she does a lot of good work in this episode because she hints that there is something that Leland isn't telling her. And she right. knows what it is, but she won't tell Michael. She says, it's not my story to tell. I like that. And I appreciated that because Leland needed to own up to what he did, and he deserved what he got, which is his nose broken by a tiny, tiny but fierce woman. <laughs> we also have Leland infected with control mm-hmm. when he's doing his little eye security check. And yeah. The needles going at the very eye. end, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're trying to contain the Red Angel. They needed more power to close the wormhole. And that's when he goes to override the security. That's when control gets nasty. They get the nanites in him. Alan Vanspring. I love the way he played Leland. I think he was marvelous. And I love even more seeing him play Leland as control. Because Mm -hmm. it is so interesting, especially in the next episode, right after this assimilation has happened, where he's different. If you watch him, he is very specific about how he blinks his eyes. Even yeah. George O picks up on it and mm-hmm. starts noticing, hey, there's something about you, different way you carry yourself, because he's carrying himself with authority and confidence, stuff that Leland, because he was kind of a shady character. He didn't quite have that because there was always this bit of self-doubt because he's a screw-up and he knows he's a screw-up, but as control that's gone. Yeah, and she even says, you're very resolute today, and he says the times yeah. call for it. Esau 4 and Spock's butt. Let's talk about Spock's butt. Can we talk you know? about Spock's butt? Can we talk about how yes, very shiny. gratuitous and purposeful <laughs> that it was that we got so many shots of his butt in the EV suit? Well, when you have a butt like that, you Holy are going shit. to use it to its full power. Oh. And I'd I'm gonna, like to I'm use s- it. Okay, no, 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 okay. Yeah, don't. <laughs> it's nearly sunny kiss levels. Oh, oh my man. God, yes, it is. It is almost the sunny kiss. Booty I don't know what that means. Sunny kiss is a a wrestler that is absolutely beautiful, and he has the most fabulous booty I have ever seen okay. ever. And and I will ever. say, to Brandy's credit, it's not just the booty; it is the thighs too. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he's got it's, thick thighs. It's, it's just it's everything. It's everything. It's, it's everything. The whole there is like bridge cables. Yeah, just all all of it. Uh, I had to be so good on the live show about not objectifying his butt. <laughs> Here, I can do what the fuck I want. I was oh doing God. it in the chat on the live <laughs> Yo, show. Oh, you for were. This one. I know. I remember. I was the first one that I said remember. Spock's butt, and then I just couldn't stop because his. Oh, butt just everyone else stop. joined in. <laughs> If you listen to that episode, there's a lot of laughing because they're reading the comments and they're just not saying them out loud. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to join in. It's the prequel to Spock's brain. Spock's butt. Yeah. Spock's, oh, Spock's butt. butt. It is magnificent. Those EV suits are very uncomfortable. I'm I, sure. And especially for a guy. That's going to be not fun to sit in. Yeah. Or walk in. <laughs> it's got to be a little tight in the gusset. In the gusset, mm-hmm. Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gusset. <laughs> That part that goes betwixt the legs. Yeah. I learned a new word. So we get to see him walking to the chair that they're going to strap Michael onto so she can suffocate. And we see him, you know. Walk away. We, well, he seems standing there and then he bends down. And he yes. like, he crouches to. Yes. And I'm like, no, camera, follow. It didn't. You know, strap her feet on. And then he puts the arm restraints on her. Then they have a little bit of an exchange. And he's. Um, he slowly he, he, walks away. He slowly walks away Turns and around. just like, and you get another shot as he's going back in the the little safe house there before yeah. he actually goes to the dorms. Like, oh, there's gifs, yeah, or gifs. No, it's, it's gifs. It. The person who says who invented gifs says and GIF. says it's gifs, right. he knows nothing about how acronyms work because the G in gifs stands for graphic, not graphic. Therefore, it's not <laughs> graphic. Jurassic That's Park. The, therefore, it's Michael not Craig. a GIF. It's a GIF. Learn English, please. I like to say GIF, and I'll continue to say GIF. GIF. But if you want to say GIF, it's fine. I'm going to say GIF because GIF is used for many other things that have nothing to do with pictures. Peanut butter. Yeah, that's the first thing I think of is GIF. Or, yeah, I'll be there in a GIF. I will say that all the millennial friends that I have will correct me, too. Like I said, the maker of GIFs is wrong in how he pronounces it and I'm sorry but I'm not going to pronounce it the way that he does because it's idiotic it's crazy that this is the biggest argument <laughs> in a Star Trek podcast <laughs> discussion is how you pronounce GIF or GIF well I think I've already <laughs> acquitted myself of why it is GIF yes. and my biggest argument is where's the senior staff that's it so I don't care. <laughs> why, I don't is care. Col- why is Colber checking on Burnham? Why is Colber on the surface when he's not even yeah. active right now? No, he is now. Uh, he's been reactivated. Okay. He decided he wanted to be part of this. He was ready to be a doctor again. And in the very next episode, you see him back in his whites. In the next episode. Not in this one. He's invested in this. He's part of this group because Paul is a part of it. Well, what the hell's wrong with the chief medical officer, and why isn't he or she invested in this? Why don't they care? I don't care. I don't care. Maybe they're dead. From what I've heard about certain doctors, they're kind of (laughs) assholes. So maybe they're just being an asshole and don't want to be involved, and they're just doing administrative stuff. We know that Pollard is still there. Responsible writing. I don't need to know about the senior staff, because we always see the senior staff. Because they're important. And they help run everything. Yeah, but when you think about it, the top management are just that. They're management. They don't actually get involved that much. Well, then who needs a captain? Who needs Pike there? We don't need to see Pike then. Pretty much. The ship could run itself without Pike. Uh, 
Considering how often they've gone through captains on this show. Well, we've never... Yeah, we still don't have one. It's like some places I've worked where they have rotational managers. And it's the crew <laughs> that gets everything done. The manager is just there to do man hours and stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to get caught up on it right now. Any more than yeah. I am. <laughs> it's one of those things that just doesn't matter to me. Because they're telling such a compelling story that I could not care less about. They are the telling a compelling status. story. And it bothers me. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's okay that it bothers you. (laughs) Thank you for validating my feelings. Of course. Your feelings are completely valid. You go ahead and be upset about that. That's not a problem. I just don't want to dwell on it. (laughs) Nah, I can't. I won't enjoy it if I do. Discovery breaks so many of the things that seem foundational to a lot of Star Trek. of Exactly who the important members of the crew are. Mm. I mean, just having your lead character not be the captain is itself a major step. True. That's the first time they've done that. Let's talk about Michael dying because this Ew. is another one of those scenes that is really, really hard for me. Because Where her I... skin is on her uniform. It comes off yeah. of her face and you can see it on her uniform. Ew. Mm. So yeah, it's not just lack of air. Yeah, it's the toxic, isn't it? radiation that she's suffering too that's that's from the red angel show okay, that's from do you the... have but... like right. sympathetic asthma issues when you watch that shit yes. coming in through the ceiling because i do yes i start feeling like i might could have an asthma attack in 2015 i had a really bad case of pneumonia it was so bad i didn't know it was pneumonia at the time i actually had been to my doctor the day after i started feeling sick and he told me oh it's just a cold nothing we can do didn't take blood didn't do anything else just said oh it's obvious you're not feeling good well it wasn't just a fucking cold i suffered for two more weeks before finally getting a second opinion now it was to the point where i could not breathe if i was in any way reclined i had to sleep sitting straight up or i would gasp for air i could hardly walk more than five or ten steps without panting and then i would get to the point where i started panicking because i couldn't intake enough air dave remembers this very well this is when they had the fanex in january yeah we'd have to take a lot of breaks Mm -hmm. because yeah you weren't doing oh the winter's not friendly to no well utah isn't friendly to people with asthma because we're basically at the bottom of a bowl we just have dry right surrounding us yeah it's dry but dry high altitude and we live in a basin inversion like what the valley in which we live used to be a sea floor this all used to be covered with ocean the valley that's why we we have a salt lake which is a rare thing it was that's now the great salt lake what they call it not that anyone was around to name it when it was lake bonneville but so basically, we sit in the bottom of this bowl of mountains, and so any smoke, smog, ash, anything gets trapped. It just hangs over everything. I think three of the cities in Utah have the worst air quality mm. in the U.S. They're in the top five. Generally. I'm starting to feel a tightness in my chest just talking about this and remembering it. But since I went through that, I finally went to another doctor. It was actually the physician's assistant that used to be with my original primary care physician who had passed away of pneumonia about a year ago. The other guy that misdiagnosed me was his former partner. But then I found this physician's assistant, which I really liked because of him helping me out with something right before Dave and I got married. I had this weird skin condition that was going on around the sides of my mouth. The skin was peeling off to the point where the skin underneath was raw and it hurt just to move my lips. 
and it was ugly. No makeup could cover it. And I'm like, I'm getting married in five days and I can't get this to go away. I'd been through three different prescriptions. Nothing helped. And he said, oh, I have some cream that'll clear that right up. Just gave me a bunch of sample tubes. It was gone in two days. Nice. So I went to this guy and he's like, you have pneumonia. I don't even have to take your blood to tell you that you have pneumonia, but we're going to take your blood anyway. And I'm going to give you this inhaler. And why don't you have a prescription for an ongoing inhaler? And I said, because my previous doctor wouldn't give me one. And he said, why? And I said, I don't know. And he also tried to get me off my antidepressants, that doctor. Good idea. That was a great idea for someone with bipolar <laughs> disorder. You worthless piece of shit. So, yeah, there's bad doctors out there. Yeah. but And, and I, I started to recover. Like within a couple of days, I could lay down to sleep again. All of this leading up to I still have panic attacks when I have an asthma attack now. And so watching Michael suffocate makes me feel panicked. Yeah. That level of panic that I used to feel when I couldn't breathe from the pneumonia. It's like reliving that. And it's traumatic for me <laughs> to say nothing of what was happening to her. Jack did it well. It's Oh, it's yes. so awful. Yeah, it's good. She it, is good. Spock commits mutiny. He disobeys a direct order. Oh, yeah. Draws a weapon. And nobody brings that up again because he wasn't on active duty. And he <laughs> so really sa helped save the universe. So, so yeah, she dies. And, and he knew like, what Michael was saying when nobody else did. Giorgio yes, yeah. didn't get it right. Everybody was mm -hmm. assuming a different thing when she was shaking her head and trying to say no. He knew. It's like, oh, she's... He telling us to stop it and he's like no he doesn't she doesn't want you it. to stop mm -hmm. she's the variance and then we think the red angel's not showing up but we all knew the red angel was going to show up i mean come on mm -hmm. we knew the best thing about this episode is when they finally capture the red angel and she is planted on the ground and she just kind of falls out of the suit yes and we don't cool. see her face and then she looks up and michael goes mom I'm like, she regressed in a moment. The way she said mom was so childlike. Mm -hmm. And the way they shot it. It's amazing. And the actor's physical form is so similar to Sonequa. Like it could have been Sonequa with longer mm -hmm. hair. Mm -hmm. And then just when her head came up a little bit. I mean, it was really well directed. Sonia Son. I don't know where they found her. She's amazing. She's as unreal as Sonequa. I don't yeah. know if she studied Sonequa's mannerisms as Michael, but she nails it they are they are incredible together and i know we're gonna see her again and i can't freaking wait i mean i'm pretty sure we're going to i'm pretty sure that's yeah they, she's there they're they in went the future there. they're gonna find her they're gonna they're, find she, her they may not find nine, her initially she was tethered to 950 years in the future at terrelysium which we find out in the next episode they've got to We've got yeah. they they cannot throw that actor away from the series because she is <laughs> oh no she's a force. They even speak in the same cadence. Exactly. Sonia must have studied. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that they had her watch a bunch of videos of Sonequa playing Michael. It's uncanny. We're just absolutely convinced that this is Michael's mother. There's no doubt in anybody's mind whatsoever. With season three being just over three weeks away at the time of this create creation. The time of this oh my podcast, God, you're right. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure that they land on Terralysium and Discovery crashes. So, so they may be on Terralysium. I don't know for sure. In which case, I don't think that they're going to find Michael's mom immediately. I don't think they're going to find Gabrielle. Yeah, I don't think so I'm right okay. away. But remember, <laughs> you know, in a couple episodes coming up, she does say if I don't get thrown out of the world or something like that. Michael talks about the possibility that she could get 
thrown out of the wormhole somewhere else mm-hmm. or sometime else. They're going through separately. They're not in the same vehicle. She could exit at any time. This is another one that I am crying at, especially with Mama Gabrielle finally talking about how she's been watching Michael all these years. Oh my god. Also that she doesn't allow her to speak to her for so long. Yes. She doesn't want to talk to her because she doesn't want to confront her. And it's she's seen her die her. hundreds mm-hmm. of times. Like, Yeah. And isn't Michael like out for three days or something like oh, that? Oh, no, no. After... Five hours. Five hours? Okay. I really like that I she thinks that it time. wasn't real. Mm-hmm. When yeah. she wakes up, she's like, that was real? And that's when we get our three readings of she died. Mm-hmm. It's like, she died. She died. Mm. She died. This episode makes me cry too. I love Spock coming in and saying, you're awake sooner than expected. And then she gets right down to business and he says, and I see you are yourself again. (laughs) (laughs) And she just kind of like, now is not the time. Do not test me right now, little brother. I like also that they have a ticking clock Mm -hmm. for this episode that the time dilation, it's like a rubber band and they've stretched it. And the longer it's going to stay there, the tenser it's going to get until it's going to snap back. And so they have only so long to talk to Michael's mom. The gravity is going to give out. It's going to not win that tug of war between the time dilation and this time period. I did not realize the first couple times I watched this that it was Gabrielle who brought the sphere to them. She put the sphere in the path of discovery because she couldn't protect the data herself. Control always got to it, evolved, and destroyed the universe. And she thought this was, you know, that they could safeguard it. I don't know how she thought a ship would be better off <laughs> safeguarding yeah. it than anything else. Well, she knew she more. Was, she was trying everything. Yeah, she, she knew everything. more about it. She knew Michael was on Discovery. She knew more about Discovery at this point. Yeah. It had the spore drive so it could pop back and forth. I mean, she, from what I gather, her mom knows everything that has, has happened up to that point, you know, mm-hmm. and all the possibilities. She knows about the emperor and and her relationship and that she has indeed sacrificed her life for michael and all the other realities it's like dr strange in the marvel cinematic universe is that he experiences all the different timelines to determine the one outcome Mm -hmm. and apparently that's to give the sphere to discovery is that's the success because if it wasn't and she failed again she'd just have to go back and do something different and see michael die again And again, Mm -hmm. and again, and everybody die again, and again, Mm -hmm. and again. We're witnessing is the successful run of it. It doesn't seem like it at the time, but... Right. It's very magic to make the sanest man go mad. Except she doesn't have a 30-minute window. (laughs) She gets... It seems like she gets even less than that. She gets snapped back very quickly. Yeah. My brain hurts. I know. This is where <laughs> this is the episode where we find out that Spock's dyslexia is why Gabrielle chose him. And mm. she knew that she could reach him from the time where she got him to save Michael's life when Michael ran away from home and was going through the Vulcan Forge. What the fuck? <laughs> of all the places you're going to go, you think the forge is a good idea? Actually, I see the logic in that because none of the extremists were going to follow her into the forge, let's be honest. He learns that his dyslexia was actually what made him special and what is going to save them all. Because if you trace everything back to how all of this 
comes about. If it weren't for Spock's dyslexia, <laughs> the Red Angel would never have been able to make contact, and none of this would have been possible. So Spock is ultimately the savior of the universe. That also answers his question, is why me? Mm -hmm. And now he knows why me. I have this particular relationship with Michael, and I have this dyslexia, and I'm capable of the mind meld. All these things that combined allows him to be filled with the information and convey it. And she does say in one of her logs that he might be the only person in the universe that can help her. Everybody is made aware in this episode that control has taken over Leland. Yeah. Giorgio starts to get suspicious. She teams up with Ash, and together they figure out what is going on, much to the detriment of Ash's uh, torso. <laughs> this is the third time yeah. he's gotten stabbed in this season, and twice we're in the same place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Catching up to the neck snaps. Yep. I know. Leland. I'm, try I'm trying out an Ash imitation, but I don't know if it's because he's got that like husky breathy kind of. He's an actor that at least I can't tell that his he's not hiding another accent. Agreed. Right. I never had any idea of that. And I have mm -hmm. tried to find that one little word that gives him away. He doesn't have one. His accent yeah, is usually perfect. Usually it's Bean instead of Ben. Mm -hmm. That shows off. Yeah, he's uh, good. British actor. Yeah, because they have hard British time people will that. say, "Where have you been?" instead of "Where have you been?" Lorca too. It's not easy to do. There's always usually some little thing that trips them up, but not in this case. Lorca is really good because there's a little bit of regional accent in there too. It's just not like a generic American. I appreciate that they didn't drag out the secret identity of Leland for the rest of the season because I yeah. hate stuff like that. No, they just moved right along. And it's good to give control of face. Yes. Instead of just being this thing out there that's a dangerous adversary. Well, it needs a face. Give it a face and a voice, I think, it, is a really it wanted smart that. idea. And, and, and even they, says, I need, I need a face. Your face. And they, do, and they kind of faked us out with his potential death a couple times. Once when he got eye stabbed with the eye violence. Remember, mm -hmm. everyone was like, is he dead? Is he? No, of course he's not dead. There's no way. And yeah. then when they blew up the, the station after he transports out. And they keep downloading more and more of the sphere data mm -hmm. or data. <laughs> and Giorgio and Tyler both get tested. They make the truth known. I do enjoy seeing a, a tiny, tiny Giorgio fighting control. It's oh, just, yeah. I love to see Michelle Yeoh fight no matter who she's fighting. But I love it when it's someone so much bigger than she is. Oh, yeah. I like the interplay between Giorgio and Tyler in this episode, setting us up for whenever Giorgio goes back and the Section 31 series happens. However, they figure that out. Like, I really like their relationship. The beginning of their relationship is very interesting to me. Speaking of tiny women beating up big men, is there's a Kung Fu style or Wushu style called Wing Chun, which is one of the styles that, you know, formed the early basis of Jeet Kune Do with Bruce Lee. And it was developed by a Buddhist nun. A Buddhist after nun? Buddhist nun. Hmm. After uh, the Chinese government at the time really cracked down on the Buddhist monks and tried to control them. And so they were just wiping them out. And so this Buddhist nun kind of kept a lot of that information. But since she was a smaller woman, her style was really suited for somebody small. And so, you know, the Wing Chun style of martial arts is very much suited for a little woman to defeat a larger opponent based on like speed and counterattacks and that sort of thing everybody mm. wing chun ten that's a lot <laughs> <I'm running. laughs> 
The time crystal gets destroyed because of control. Gabrielle gets sucked back into the future. Now they have right as they're about to touch for the first time in twenty yeah. years. Ah, oh. they have no time suit, so they have no red angel. They have no way to know what they're going to do next, and control is still out there somewhere and trying to get the sphere data. And this is when we have this lovely scene between Michael and Spock. She's devastated that she's lost her mother again, and she's been watching the logs. There's like nine hundred of them, something like that. That's a lot. I love those logs. What a weird thing to say. Michael's watching them to feel closer to her mom again. And she's just laying there crying. And they fill in so many little details of the story for us. And you can get to see her get more and more embittered and desperate and more about the mission and not trying to form any kind of emotional bond. It's about getting the thing done. And so you can see her distancing herself more and more each time she witnesses Michael die because there's only so much a mother can take of witnessing their child's death. In essence, she's completely alone. She's the only person alive. She is. She's literally the only person alive. She goes back and she sees people, but where she exists, they're not there anymore. So they don't really mean anything. They start to lose value the more she encounters these people and she loses them. Which makes it interesting if we do see her again in season three is that her future has changed. That she's going to exist with people around her again. Mm. So that'll be fascinating. Oh, interesting, David. <laughs> That's true. I hadn't really thought it that far through, but yes, you are correct. Yeah, and she would know that they succeeded because there's life around her. And Gabrielle's the constant in her future. She's the constant by herself every time. And then it's Michael that's the variant. So it had to be Michael. Mm -hmm. It's all about Michael, as Ariam said. Everything is about you. Everything is about you. Spot comes in to see how Michael's doing. She's upset. She's talking about how she failed, all these things. And he's just in the background very quietly setting up the chess set. She's basically like, we're we're sunk. And he says, no, we have now. That's our greatest advantage. We only have now. Control doesn't know what to expect from us. This is our advantage. We are going to defeat control with instinct and logic, which is a really bizarre combination (laughs) because the two are usually at odds. I kind of feel like... You explaining it this way, this is the moment that Spock is back. Mm-hmm. This is the he's moment that he's, he's with us again. He's fully in it to win it, as they say. All of the past has been forgiven and explained, and now they are just a brother and sister trying to save the universe. And she's despairing for her human side, for mm-hmm. losing her, what she is, is she is interpreting as her losing her mother again. When really she's found her. And he provides the perspective that makes them able to now move forward. Control is always planning and plotting. And all they can do to defeat him is live in the now. Is to be unpredictable. And in fact, my autographed picture of Spock says, For Brandy, we have only now. That is our greatest advantage. And signed by him. I love it. Logic party. Logic party, bitches. Logic party, bitches. (laughs) That's it for four episodes. That was a good chunk, though. Now we start heading into what the hell are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't seen a signal in a long time. We have not. Nope. That's about to change. And we're also missing a red suit. So what the hell do we do with that? We're missing three signals. Yeah. yeah. And we've only had four. The other three have yet to reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Dun, dun, dun. So I guess the only thing to do now is to say we'll continue this in our next episode, which mm-hmm. will be out in a week. But in the meantime, let's start with you, Dave. Where can people find you? You can find me at Dark Cornercast on Twitter. You can find our podcast, The Dark Corner Podcast, and Headcanon on darkcornerpodcast.com. Something else, Starlight Express was <laughs> loosely based on Thomas the Tank Engine, along with two other properties. I think one of them was Cinderella. Um, what? Also. He looked it up. I looked it up. <laughs> I heard this. Sneaky. He wanted to do, I think, a musical TV series or something on Thomas the Tank Engine, and it didn't happen, so it became this other thing. Which is actually a much better idea, in my opinion, <laughs> shockingly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, being British, Thomas the Tank Engine has you know some appeal. Also, well, I apologize uh, for saying you were wrong. Don't worry about it. He it's likes, weird. It's a weird little factoid. It's, he likes to know things, yeah. and it's not necessarily to prove himself right. It's just to know for sure what the truth is. So. Brain. Brain. I also have a Facebook page called DJ Evil Dave. It's kind of a fan page. I share music I listen to on there and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Monsieur Christopher de Littlefield, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on my personal Instagram and Twitter at CD Littlefield. And then the other shows I do on the network, Open Channel, is the fan feedback show. We read and discuss your comments on each new Star Trek episode. That's at Open Channel Trek. And then my interview podcast with Trek fans, podcasters, and Trek creatives is at four questions Trek on Instagram and Twitter. And that's the number four not spelled out. You can find me in lots of places. Uh, it's getting redundant talking about them. <laughs> um, but well, I already took care of two of them. So. You did. You did. And I appreciate that. So I do two other shows here on the Hall Suite Network, which are Boldly Go, the Strange New Worlds podcast with my friend Suzanne Williamson. And the Vedic Assembly about Deep Space Nine with my friends Liam and Nick. And boy, do we have a rip-roaring good time on both of those podcasts. I do two live shows because I just can't talk about enough Trek. I need more. So Friday nights right now, I am doing a show called The Unready Room. It's at 7 p.m. Mountain. Figure it out for yourself where you are. It is on Dan Gunther's YouTube channel, which is Kurt Ratz Productions. Dan Gunther is one of the most fabulous Trek fans you could ever hope to engage with. Mm -hmm. And it is a delight to do a live show with him right now. We're covering Lower Decks, which only has three episodes left, and I'm not ready for it to go. But at the same time, I'm so ready for Discovery. It's this double-edged sword. I'm sure we're going to cover Discovery as well, though we haven't formally stated that. I am sure we're going to do that. It's going to be fun. Saturdays at noon Mountain Time on Twitch on the Outpost 13 channel, I do a live show with my friend Aaron Harvey called Infinite Trek. We can talk about anything in the Trek world or even Trek adjacent. If it even loosely relates to Trek, we can talk about it. Right now, we are also covering Lower Decks, but from a sort of different angle, I suppose is the best word. We have completely different conversations. And Aaron shows up for the live show. He's in the chat for the live show. And I'm going to have to come on Fridays. And that's really fun. And then that is released as an audio podcast on Tuesdays on the Trek Geeks Network, which we are very appreciative to them for that. And also you can find me on Twitter at Brandy112. Brandy, you, you know, you should really think about getting into podcasting. (laughs) You know, I've been toying with it, but I'm not sure I'm ready. I just feel like. Just try it out. Do one. Uh, Maybe I 
I don't know if anyone really somewhere. cares about what I have to say. <laughs> I just, maybe I'm just speaking into the ether and no one will ever hear it. I don't know. I'll think well, about this it. This show's already doing better than The Dark Corner, I think, ever had. <laughs> well, The Dark Corner is very niche. It's very niche. <laughs> very niche. So yeah. we do our own thing. Of course, we do our own thing on this show because it's our show. We can do what we want. Yep, this is and fun. I like it. I'm excited about it's talking about season two, part two, part two. Yes. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> part B. Part <laughs> subsection part A. B, part two, two, two point two. So this is Article part two point one. <laughs> Next is part two point two. <laughs> Whatever. So Clause anyway. A. So everyone, thank you so much for bearing with us throughout this retrospective. You and liked it. I you did. I, I know you it. did. You love it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have stuck this around this long. You like it like getting strapped down by Spock. <laughs> oh, Please, why did you bring that there. up? Um, <laughs> I just, I um. This was a very homosexual episode for me. I am. Um, I <laughs> so much. I was gonna. I was gonna say something. What was I gonna say? Um. Anyway. <laughs> Just, uh, oh, is my heartbeat rising over 120 beats per minute again? No, it's not. <laughs> so join us again next week when we will finish off this retrospective and see what the future holds. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. Google Clippy Microsoft Word. It was a little paperclip, like animated paperclip that would pop up when you were using Microsoft Word, and it was like a little helper. And there are going to be more comments on it in this episode, too, so we'll get to those. Right. You kind of have to be older like us to get that. <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, you're right. And Nick goes on, but before he does, I want to just congratulate him on being a doctor now. Congratulations, Dr. Nick. Woohoo! Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. But then again, senior officer meeting, why is Harry Kim in there? He's an ensign. Because he is the senior ops bridge person. I don't know. But that's what doesn't make sense to me. If he's like the senior ops person, does that mean everyone below him is just a crewman? He's a crewman. <laughs> because he can't boss even Lieutenant Junior grades around. Oh my gosh. So their ops department is just a mess because it's just crewmen. Well, it's a mess also. That explains a lot. <laughs> Actually, it does, About doesn't Voyager. it? Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Starpod Trek, a podcast exploring Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. And remember that Gene Roddenberry wrote the novel for the motion picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, about the search for God and everything, that part of it. And there's a lot of details in that novel that didn't make it to the picture that actually opens up the scope of the Star Trek universe even more so. I mean, it's a great it, read. Yeah, he put, he put other stuff in it. And, but, you know, but, I, but Scotty being a drunk, I don't know why. He, like, why wouldn't know, Scotty just yeah, continue yeah. to be an engineer and 
you know, be a proud worker and Starfleet officer. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.